Hello everyone, this is Vernon Moore. Today is the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. I had just started my sophomore year in high school when it happened. I remember it well. I saw the second plane hit the tower live on television. I will never forget that day. Three thousand people died that day. Many of them were murdered, while others gave their lives saving lives. The great Fred Rogers always said what his mother told him Look for the helpers. There were a lot of helpers that day. Let us remember those who died. And let us also remember those who gave their lives so that others might live. It was a terrible tragedy I hope never to be repeated. Let us always remember our loved ones who died that day. And even if we didn't know anybody personally who died. To remember them and never forget them. Never forget the people of that day. What we can do now is hold on to each moment of our lives. Hold on to your family. Hold on to your friends. We don't know how much time we have on this earth. What matters is what do we do with that time? You know, in The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, novel, Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All you can, all you let's decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. Let us use that precious time we've been given. Let us remember the sacrifice of so many. And remember to live our lives and live in each moment. And that is what I have to say about this day. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Brennan Marr. That knows you're hearing it by ventilator. And welcome to Serving Drinks, presented by Page Turners. They were not my Star Wars typecast. Um, we are going to review, and they're excited, part four of the Soka, Fallen Jedi. Um, this is an incredible episode. This is my favorite episode so far of the show. Um, this episode had some pretty amazing things. Happening, so let's just get into it. Um, I'm gonna divide it into two parts. First, we're gonna talk about the main story of the Silk Sabine and Hu Yang, and then we'll talk about the second story with Hera and uh, Jason. So, you know, their ship was damaged last time. So they're still on their way to um, the planet Sitos. Uh, and they landed on, actually, they've already they've landed on the planet. So they're sitting around making repairs. Um, and immediately off the bat, we're seeing. 
that Ahsoka says to Sabine, you know, if we can't make it to Ezra, then nobody should. Because if they find Ezra, they're going to find Thrawn. And if they unleash Thrawn on the galaxy, he returns as the dun-dun-dun heir to the Empire. But we heard this name dropped in the in the trailer. And we all know if Thrawn returns, which he will, then the galaxy is in is in the poop, if you'll pardon the expression. Uh, and Ahsoka tells Ezra, you know, you know, sometimes we have to do what's right, despite our personal feelings. Which is a parallel to what Anakin told uh, Padme in Attack of the Clones. Um, this idea of sometimes we've got to put aside our personal desires for the greater good. So this dilemma of if we give up on Ezra, maybe that's a good thing. Because we don't want Thrawn to come back. You know, I think Ahsoka and Sabine were hoping that they would be able to find a way to Peridia, get the galaxy, get Ezra, and everything would be good. But now that our enemies, Morgan and Balin, and Shin and Merak have the map, you know, they're going to use it to basically unleash Thrawn on the galaxy. So it's this terrible dilemma. And now, let me back up a little. We don't know 100% that Thrawn will be returning to challenge the New Republic. We don't know that 100%. And the reason I say that is... You know, expectations you have to be careful with. Now, is it likely that Grand Admiral Thrawn will return to the galaxy? I would give it like a 95% yes. But there's still that 5% that he's ultimately not going to return at all. Now, would there be a lot of massive discontent? Yes. Even I would be, I wouldn't be angry. I would be like, ooh. Yeah, I kind of wanted that. I would be more worried about how people would react. And like I said, it's only a small chance, but what if we come to the end and Thrawn does not return, but Ezra does? Or they're given a choice and neither Ezra nor Thrawn can return. I, I mean, I don't know. This is one of those... And I don't know if they're going to rescue Ezra. I don't know. And I don't know if Thrawn is going to be unleashed. You know, these are things that we don't really know 100%. Um, would it be heartbreaking for Ezra not to be rescued? Yes, it would. It would also be heartbreaking for some fans in a different way if Thrawn doesn't return. So really what I'm trying to say is we don't know what's going to happen. We have seen Thrawn in some of the promotional material. It's true. Does that mean he's going to return? I don't know. Now, I know a couple of years ago, Kathleen Kennedy, during the... Um, like a, It was like a... I don't know what you'd call it. It was like a big like TED Talk presentation that they streamed online, announced that all the Mandalore shows were going to be leading to this big story event. Now, we all assumed that the story event meant Thrawn Returns and the New Republic has a full-on war. And then when it was announced that Dave Filoni was doing a movie, 
we all immediately said, oh, well, that's where Thrawn returns. Um, but like I said, we don't know these things for sure. So it's probably better if we don't um, overthink it. And just say, that is what likely is going to happen. But we don't know that 100%. And we have seen that it is dangerous to pin our hopes on something. And then say, wait, but they told us. When you actually have to look at it and say, well, what did they actually tell us? And more than that, when Kathleen Kennedy made this announcement three years ago, Rangers of the New Republic was still on the table as a series, which seems to have gone into... It was either canceled entirely or put on the shelf. And I don't know. So, like I said, I don't know where we're going. But the point that it, that Ahsoka is making about making hard choices, I don't know if that's going to eventually come back to be important in the story. Is, is Sabine going to have a, a moment to choose? And ultimately has to give up on Ezra to save the day? Or is Ahsoka really giving herself advice that she's going to have to face in this next couple episodes? Where it's like, don't get your emotions, your emotions get in the way of doing what's right. So yet again, I don't know where it's going, and I like that I don't know where it's going. Okay, anyhow, um, they're attacked by a bunch of, you know, assassins. And Balin points out that, well, that's not going to slow them down. And he's right, because even Hu Yang, who I was so worried was going to be destroyed, and he wasn't. Even Hu Yang had some moves up his sleeve. He, he uses those extra arms. And I think there's a reason why this guy survived for arguably 25,000 years. Um, or at least however long the Jedi have existed. These a thousand generations. So he's got a few moves, and I like that, and I like that he wasn't destroyed. Though he was basically destroyed in the Clone Wars, but not enough to end him completely. So he's been blasted into pieces before. Anyhow, they all fight, and Balin was right. It doesn't slow them down. Um, you know, and so they go into the forest, Sabine and, and it's so good to find the, um, reflex point, I guess it's called, where the, where the, where the bad guys have the man. And Hu Yang says, stay together. You always do better that way. So, Hyang works on trying to contact Hera. So Dean and Ahsoka are together, and as he points out, stay together. And that's an important lesson. That's like the theme of this episode, is this unity. Between them, unity between the Jedi, unity between the New Republic, and we're seeing a, a, a large amount of disunity. Sabine and Ahsoka aren't united 100%. Nor is Uye. The New Republic isn't united. I mean, Mon Mothers have a hard time with Senator Ziono. You know, things like this. So, unfortunately, there's a lot of disunity, and I think this show is about finding that unity, and also to do what's right, even in the face of opposition. Anyhow, um, 
So Morgan Elspeth is returning to the ring because it's currently calculating the hyperspace coordinates to Peridia. Um, Balaam points out if the calculations are slightly wrong, you know, you're going to be stuck out in the middle of nowhere. In the intergalactic void, as he says. Morgan tells him, hey, have faith, man. And then Balin says something very interesting. It says, faith. I lost that a long time ago. You know, we know that he went missing during the Clone Wars. He knew Anakin. We learned that. And near the end of the Clone Wars, he was he went missing. What did he find that took away his faith? Or did he leave because he had no faith in the Jedi? He wouldn't necessarily have been wrong, per se, in the Jedi Order, but to lose faith in the Jedi, you know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know what took away his faith. And also, he keeps referring to Morgan's power as witchcraft. That's very interesting. He's very interesting how he responds to that. Yet again, I wonder if we'll get, find out why he thinks so slowly of the Night Sister magic. Anyhow, so. Shin goes off to confront. Shin and Merrick go off to confront Ahsoka and Sabine. And Balin waits for Ahsoka at the Mixus point, or the reflex point. We get a great lightsaber fight uh, between. Uh, we have Sabine versus Shin a rematch and we get a little Ahsoka versus Merrick um, you know it's a really great fight scenes I mean these are like you know Phantom Menace esque fight scenes though a little more a little bit less dance like you know, a little bit less like a dance. A little bit more toned down, but it's still got that that Nick Gallard energy from the prequels. Um, Nick Gallard was the fight choreographer in the prequels. Whereas Bob Anderson was the fight coordinator in the original. But, but it, so it's a little bit more aggressive, but it's also got a little bit of that original trilogy style too regardless excellent fight scenes excellent uh, you know Shin is is uh, it's got more force power than Sabine Sabine basically has been um, so it seems that Shin's getting the upper hand well then we get an incredible Kurosawa moment. So, as we know, Inquisitor lightsabers are, do that spinny helicopter blade thing. Well, Merrick does that to Ahsoka. And in a great moment, like out of a Kurosawa film, he's spinning his lightsaber and she raises her lightsaber above her head. And we get this, like, build-up to the actual attack. Very much like what you would see in, like, the Seven Samurai. We get this long build-up, and then she strikes. She got him. There's a scene in the Seven Samurai where one of the Samurai is, needless not forget, is facing off with another guy. It's a long buildup. They run at each other. The one guy slashes, and then you don't see for a couple of seconds. The other guy stops. 
Yeah, they run past each other. One guy slashes. You're watching it going, okay, did he kill the other guy? Did he kill the other guy? And at first it looks like he didn't. And then the other guy falls over. You know, it's very much like the fight scene in Twin Sons. When Obi-Wan Kenobi finally defeats Darth Maul. It's a long build-up followed by a quick attack. And then it's over. I love that. It's very Kurosawa. Which a lot of this is borrowing from, including... I need to point this out. I love that Kevin Kiner, the composer, is adding a very Japanese sound. Very percussion. Uh, you know, very East Asian percussion to the music, which is very much like um, Yojimbo, you know, the, the, the other great Kurosawa film. I love that. And and now what's interesting is about the death of Merrick. He's got this cut across his chest. And then all this green mist comes out. Okay. Uh, as Alex Damon has pointed out, and I agree, the green mist is something you saw with the Night Sisters. Uh, Darth Maul had a brother named Savage. Savage was recruited by the Night Sisters to be in a, 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 a basically to kill Count Dooku. So he was already strong, but they used their magic to make him stronger. When Palpatine finally killed Savage, all that green energy leaked out of Savage as he died. That might be going on here. So either Merrick is someone that they, you know, uh, that was like a like an advanced like like a person who Morgan made more powerful with her magic. Or and here's the one I like. He's a reanimated corpse. The Night Sisters like to do that. Um, I actually like that idea. That's it's kind of creepy and gross, and I like that. Um, we also know that 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 Mero in the Arthurian legends was a a man who was turned into a werewolf, I think, by the magic used by Morgan Le Fay. As in the sister of King Arthur, the witch who has all the power. So maybe Morgan Elsbeth took somebody, a dead or living person, and advanced them with her magic. I don't know if we'll get any more of Merak in the story. I'm assuming he's dead, and they did kind of leave him there. Unless there's some something else going on that we don't know about. That was pretty cool. And I got to say that the fight between Ahsoka and Merrick, it's the classic light side, dark side. The dark sider starts spinning his lightsaber around really aggressively. The, the dark sider. The light sider stands there with her lightsaber raised, very calm, very collected. And she wins because of her composure. You know, the Jedi have composure. The Sith do not. Uh, the Sith, you know, it's like Darth Maul. Pacing like a caged animal. When Qui-Gon is sitting there meditating during the fight on Naboo. Even though Qui-Gon loses that fight, he's able to maintain his composure because the Jedi are better at maintaining their composure. So even though Ahsoka doesn't call herself a Jedi, this is very much a Jedi behavior. 
of I'm going to be calm and collected. And whereas my opponent, who's the dark sider, is not. So I love that. I love that. So, in in defiance of Hu Yang, Hu Yang said, stay together. Sabine tells Ahsoka, get to the map. I'll take care of Shin. You get to the map. So, Ahsoka gets over to where the, the reflex point is. And here's where we learn Balin is sitting there with his hood up. Really cool. Really cool shot of him sitting there with his hood. Because the Anakin spoke highly of you. And she's like, well, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say anything about you. And Balin's like, everybody knew Skywalker. Not very many people saw what he became. You know, and, and Soka's like, he's like, did you leave the Jedi Order because of his fault? And Soka's like, I'm not here to discuss that. And Dalen, we get a little bit of his motivation. He's trying to build up something greater, he says. Um, he doesn't want to start a war that's thrown really, he says. And then he says, you need to destroy in order to create. Now, what does he mean by that? So, he doesn't want to start a war, I guess. But Thrawn will. And for some reason, it looks like Balin is okay with that. With Thrawn coming back and starting a war to destroy so they can create. No, we don't know exactly what future he is envisioning. Thrawn coming back is a necessary evil, according to him. So, I don't know exactly what Dalen, and I'm sure we'll find out, why he thinks Thrawn is a necessary. Is necessary. Uh, is it to defend them from something worse? Is it to bring order to the galaxy so that the Jedi can come back? You know, I, I don't know what he wants to create. But it's very, very interesting that he wants to let Thrawn come back to secure a future for something greater. And I have no idea what that something greater is, so this should be interesting. Um, you know, they get into a fight, and Balin's like, you know, this is inevitable, it's going to happen. And get into this really cool fight. Meanwhile, um, the navigator droid, the navigators are, com are completing their calculations with outer space. Um, interesting, but when they do that, uh, now at the same time, we get the fight between Shin and Sabine. And, um, you know, Shin is doing pretty well. And, you know, you know, Sadine is trying to use the force on Shin. And, and Shin's like, you, you have no power. Uh, Sadine and Balin continue. Sorry, Ahsoka and Balin continue their fight. He's taunting her. He's like, you know, hey, your legacy is death and destruction, just like your master. The Anakin Skywalker, a.k.a. Darth Vader. Uh, Ahsoka knocks Skull to the ground. 
and goes and grabs the map and takes it off the pedestal. This delays the income, the hyperspace calculation. Um, yeah, actually, there's a scene I missed. So Ahsoka reaches out her hand to force push shit. Sabine does. Uh, it doesn't work. And then uh, Shin says, well, you have no power. Well, then Sabine closes her wrist and fires a wrist rocket right at Shin. So whether Sabine was actually trying to use the force or just doing it as a diversion, I don't know, but that was a really cool move. Really cool. Um, that she did that, but then Shin drops like a smoke bomb and runs away. Shin runs back to the reflex point. The now Ahsoka dropped the map because it burned her hand. So. You know, and, and then Shin's trying to get the man. Soka uses the force to push her away. It knock her out against the rock. And then Balin gets really mad and pushes Ahsoka to the edge of the cliff. Right above the ocean. Sabine arrives and tries to stop Balin. And Soka's like, destroy the map, destroy the map. Sabine's got her blaster up to the map. This makes Balin back up a little. But then... He, he hits her lightsaber so much that he causes Ahsoka to fall off the cliff. He says to her, I didn't want it to come to this, but you don't know any other way. So the Ian is clearly distraught. The continues to hold her blaster against the net. But this is where Dalen starts playing a little mind games. He tells her, you know, I know you want to find Ezra. He's the only family you've got, and if you destroy that map, then you're not going to ever find him. He says, you can come with us. And the United, reunited with Ezra. This works. Sabine hands the map to Balin. And Balin, true to his word, allows her to live. We also learn, or at least Balin reads Sabine's mind and discovers that apparently Sabine's family died on Mandalore. It says because her master did not trust her. Now, we don't have the full context. Star Wars Rebels tells us that the Mandalorians liberated their planet from the Empire about the same year that the New Hope takes place. But then we learn that because the Mandalorians drove off the Empire, the Empire came back 
and completely devastated Mandalore. We don't know the exact year. So we, I guess we assume now the Earth family was killed. Her father, mother, and brother were killed on Mandalore, I think. Yet again, you know, there might be half-truths here. But what does this mean that because Ahsoka didn't trust her? I wonder what that means. Does it mean that Ahsoka made Sabine stay with her? Because it's like, like if you go back to your family, you're going to be so emotionally attached that you can't be my pet one. I don't know. Yet again, I think that Dave Filoni, and he's already dropped a few nuggets here and there, might be setting up for a book comic or cartoon or something that would fill in those missing years but it sounds like the Ren family is dead and it's interesting so Shin wakes up and force chokes to me but Dalen says stop I'm going to keep my word to her I will not let any harm come to her. Something even Ahsoka couldn't promise you. Or couldn't do. They put the map back on the pedestal and the calculations are complete. The shuttle comes down to pick up Shin, Sabine, and Balin to bring them up to the Eye of Sion. That giant hyperspace ring. So they go. Um, and of course, the Eye of Scion, with its calculations complete, jumps into hyperspace. And they're gone. Off to Peridium. And then Ahsoka wakes up. She is in the world between worlds. A mystical place that we saw in Star Wars Rebels. So I don't know if she died when she fell off the cliff. Or if she... How that all works. Because I won't bore you with the details, but Ahsoka has an interesting connection. To the world between worlds that is beyond what's normal. Um, meaning that there was a, an event during the Clone Wars where Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka were caught in this mystical world. And long story short, there are higher powers looking out for Ahsoka. I don't know exactly what that means as far as how she fell off the cliff and ended up in this mystical realm. I don't know. And she hears a sound, a voice. Hello, Sniffs. I didn't expect to see you so soon. It's Anakin Skywalker. Her former master. She turns around. And there's Hayden in his episode three outfit. Standing right there. And that's the end. Um is Anakin This is about five, six years after he died. Um Is this the ghost of Anakin that we saw at the end of Return of the Jedi? Is this something sinister? Masquerading itself as Anakin? Or is it something else entirely? I have no idea. We'll find out tomorrow. But he calls her Snips. That was her nickname. The Clone Wars. Snips and Sky Guy. 
sniffs because she's very sniffy, um, snarky attitude as a teenager. Face it, you're stuck with me, Sky Guy. Yeah. Clone Wars movie still not one of my favorites. Okay, let's talk really quick about Hera. We know that the council didn't agree. The the nerves of the council did not agree to send any ships or fleet or anything to Cetos. But Hera, like the good space villain that she is, says, forget it. I'm going anyway. They're, they're headed toward, they're in the, the docking bay of the home one, the, the flagship, and they're going, she and Jason and Chopper are going to the ghost, their ship. Well, first officer Hawkins is like, um, you, you can't go without orders. And the says, watch me. And he's always like, well, the council's meeting. What do I tell them? Eris says, think of something. Leaving Hawkins like, oh, great. What do I tell them? So the ghost takes off. Well, they're not alone. You know, it's funny. Jason says, hey, mom, how come you get to disobey orders, but I have to do what I'm told? He's like, well, when you're a general, you can make your own rules. Um, and then, but they're not alone. Yep, Phoenix Squadron, or I guess that's what they're calling themselves. It's Captain Tava. It's Carson Tava, our favorite X-wing pilot from the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. Go figure he's on Harris' side. Because I know he's also been the one saying there's something going on out there. But he can't seem to get anybody to listen to. So the other group, the Carson and four others, in their X-Wings, accompany Hera. You know, there's a lot of risk here, according to Carson. And Hera says a great line. Once a rebel, always a rebel. You know, Hera is never going to be able to leave that behind. And Carson calls her Phoenix leader. That was her call sign during the Rebels show. So they had to hide space. Killian is still trying to fix the uh, communication. He manages to get through. And he was like, we're already here. Ulian um, gives them the lowdown. Like, you got to stop that hyperspace ring. Um, now, at the same time, one thing I, I, I forgot to mention, Balin destroyed the map with his lightsaber. After they had gotten the, the calculations. So that's it for them there. So they're in trouble. Uh, Phoenix Squadron is trying to stop them. It's too late. The Iron Lion is jumping into hyperspace. And when it does, there's a hyperspace surge. Like a like a a wake, hyperspace wake that hits Phoenix Squadron, destroying I think two of the X wings. Yeah, two of the X wings. And you know the ghost is kind of flung out and crazy. Yep, they're gone. Yep, the Iron Lion is gone with Sabine. With Shin, with Balin, with Morgan. Yeah, they were too late. They weren't able to stop them. And it's interesting because Jason says, Mom, I got a bad feeling. 
I think it's safe to say that Jason is um, force sensitive. He senses that something is is wrong. That this is not. This is bad. This is really bad. And yeah, and that's the end. This scene is followed by the scene of Ahsoka in Anakin in the world between worlds. So that's it. I mean, we're talking a major cliffhanger here. Um, the idea of Sadim is gone with the villains in the Eye of Sion. They successfully made the jump. Ahsoka's in the world between worlds with Anakin. Phoenix Squadron is just sitting there, unable to help. We're on a cliff. We are literally, I mean, it's like a fell off a cliff, so we're talking a literal cliff. Yeah, and where we're going next, I mean, I have no idea. I do not want to venture a guess, because I don't know. As I said, will we see Thrawn? Well, yeah. Is he going to return to wreak havoc on the galaxy? I have no idea. Um, that's it. What a great episode. Great lights into fights. Great character development. Great getting to see Sadine still able to kick butt even without the Force. Because if you don't know, the Mandalorians once fought great wars with the Jedi. Ergo, a lot of the Mandalorian technology, you know, the uh, the 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 grappling hooks, rocket packs, those arm shields, Beskar, it's all designed to fight Jedi. It's like, how do you fight the Jedi without the Force? That's what the Mandalorians are for. Or at least what their armor and what all their training is about. And Sabine manages to demonstrate that she can do it. She can go toe-to-toe with Shin. Even without the Force. Though the Force does give Shin a little bit of an advantage over Sabine at this point. I imagine if they have another rematch, I don't know how it's going to go. Are Balin and Shin going to survive this series? I have no idea. Is Morgan going to survive? Is Sabine going to survive? I mean, Sabine and Ahsoka surviving, it's highly likely. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And I'm glad I don't know. Um, this is exciting. This is very exciting. I was so happy to see Carson again. I love that we've left on this cliffhanger. I love getting to see Anakin again. Uh, it'd be very interesting to know where we go next. And Hera being awesome, as always. So there it is, folks. I mean, there's a lot there. And we're continuing the themes of growth and rebuilding yourself and deciding who you're going to be. The idea of, you know, the, the title, Fallen Jedi. Does that mean Valen? Does that mean uh, Ahsoka, who literally fell? So we're talking about Anakin. It's it's incredible to imagine where what it all means. I know we've only got four episodes left. I think it's going to be a doozy from here on. Because we've had the wind-up, and now it's the pitch. I think it's going to land pretty well. I know it's not going to work for everyone. I know the show is a bit slow for some people. 
I love it. And I think it has a lot to say about being let down by masters, um, uh, judging others, and or, or even details like what is this concept? You know, sometimes you have to do what's right despite your personal feeling. Yes. What are the hard choices they're going to have to make in this show? Sabine, it's so good. You know, what are they going to have to do to choose what's right over what they want? And also with Dalen, what is this idea of wanting to run to connect for a greater good? What is that greater good? And as, of course, we know from Star Wars history and real world history, what people are willing to give up for the quote-unquote greater good has also led to terrible tragedy. And I suspect that that's going to happen if Thrawn returns. And I love, just for personal reasons, that they named Thrawn Heir to the Empire because that's the name of the first book in the original to the Zon trilogy. Anyhow, we'll see where we go next. I am loving the show. I cannot wait for tomorrow night's episode. So those are my thoughts on uh, part four of Ahsoka, The Jedi. My name is Brendan Mar. That noise you're hearing is my ventilator. Thank you for tuning in to Serving Drinks, presented by Page Journeys They Were Not, my Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. <laughs>